0: Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. We are on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today we are joined by Simon Webb, a co-founder of Taro Analytics. I did it, yeah. (laughs) Even though I put the T back in, yeah. Simon, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm fantastic and uh, thanks for thanks for having me. It
0: is my pleasure hey before we jump into the main topics, why don't we get a little bit of your background for some context?
1: Uh, a bit of my background. I grew up uh, in a small town uh, called Port Macquarie which is about four hours north of Sydney went to school in Sydney and then university in Sydney. When I grew up, my father ran optometry practices and he's an optometrist and so I was not so much interested in the uh, medical side of things, although my, my brothers are all doctors, uh, I was much more interested in, in the business side of things. and I always had uh, a, a want to to run a business and then I um, you ended up studying engineering and commerce at the University of New South Wales uh, and along with one of my uh, really good friends, uh, Jesse, he was studying at the same university but actuarial science um, and we would always you know, be looking and, and looking at different businesses and different industries and and things and and seeing well, you know, how do we do it differently? And or how can we make money out of this? Or you know, could we build a platform that could do that? And uh, so on and so forth. And then in the year when I was doing my engineering thesis, he had, Jesse had finished and it was meant to start a graduate job at the start of February at a fund. Uh, so using his actuarial Uh, finance background he was working for a debt fund but then they messaged him and said oh actually because we're just starting up you know can you delay your start date by a month from the 1st of February to the 1st of March and he said oh sure so that meant he had uh, valentine's day off and his girlfriend at the time was overseas and so being a little bit entrepreneurial he signed up to deliver roses on valentine's day the courier company gave him a list of addresses in alphabetical order to deliver.
0: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
1: And it was it was constrained into you know the the northern suburbs of Sydney, but the list was sitting there in alphabetical order. And so he yeah looked at it and said, well, know, yeah, how am I going to do this? Yeah, if I want to make the most money. Yeah, I want to get the, the most amount of money for the amount of time that I'm putting into this. If I optimise this delivery rate, Run, I can be make the most per hour. So he went online and found a little app, uh, which allows you to do up to 10 addresses at once, and then manually entered, you know, 75 addresses using a little bit of the local knowledge and built a run and then did it, finished at the end of his, end of his uh, delivery run and called the courier company. And it was about 1230 and he was getting paid $4 per rows. He delivered $4 dollars he per rows. Per, 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 stop, delivery. Yeah. So per delivery per delivery that's think, awesome yeah i can't exactly remember um and there was going to be 60 or 70 deliveries he called them up at your twelve thirty and said i'm finished and they said how did you finish so soon <laughs> you can't be finished and he said well i, I planned my route and they said oh well can you drive back out to the warehouse and give us the proof of delivery documents and the signatures? And he said, well, can I scan them and email them to you? I don't want to drive 45 minutes back. No yeah, it makes no sense. And this kind of, you know, so we were having a beer the, the day after and we were saying, well, this seems insane. If he can do it as, as someone who's never done this before, and the reaction of the courier company was, how did you finish so soon? And so from that, it worked out as a bit of a genesis of an idea. And uh, we sat down one weekend and looked at what was available. And we built a little algorithm to solve it.
0: That's the best founding story I've heard all year. Not even close.
1: And then we had a maths student uh, that we were tutoring, or Jesse was tutoring. And he was explaining this algorithm to the kid as a practical application of mathematics. Right. And the guy's father was overhearing it. And turned around and said, well, my company's got a contract to service fire extinguishers for public housing. Right. So we've got 500 different houses we need to go and visit every month Could you build your algorithm to plan this for us. They paid us $5,000 to run a little pilots. And I guess the rest, as they say, is a bit of history. And from there, we thought, well, someone's prepared to pay us to do this. Let's get serious about it. Of course, you know, as all founders uh, will say, you know, we didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know. And I guess had we known the complexities and the challenges of the logistics industry, maybe we would have realized that uh, it's a bit, we <laughs> would have been like, it's a bit too much work, but uh, maybe our naivety and, and coming into it without having years of experience, uh, you know, working in logistics and, and uh, having that background meant that we probably took a different approach a few different things for, for better or worse in definitely a lot of cases, but you know, we're here where we are today. So from there, we ended up going through Techstars uh, Paris, being accelerated through Techstars Paris. You know, We kept the company afloat uh, doing custom development and a bit of like consulting work in the early years, building a platform and building optimization algorithms, uh custom one-off for companies. And we did that for about two years funneling all the extra cash that we made into developing our platform until we were accelerated through Textiles in Paris. And yeah, from there we've got customers here in Australia, uh, in Europe and in the UK today.
0: When did the Rose delivery thing happen? How long ago was that?
1: That was 2014.
0: Oh my God, that's a long time ago.
1: 2014, we incorporated the company in 2016, mid 2016. And then I guess got our first proper paying customer in 2017.
0: I love it. Can you tell me why you went to Techstars in Paris as opposed to anywhere else in the world?
1: We we launched the company in 2016. Uh, There was a program open at the time called the French Tech Ticket. Yep. So we were looking for grant funding uh, ways to get money into the company without really having to raise to fund development. Um so there was a program called the French Tech ticket and it was modeled off a program uh Startup Chile and the French Tech ticket gave you a 60,000 euro grant and residency in France to build your platform or to build your startup with um as a way basically as a marketing program for French business because France didn't have the, you know, the best of reputations uh, as a place to, to do business. So we took advantage of that. We, we applied, we were accepted. Um, we had a, you know, half a platform and, you know, no customers, but we were accepted. Then went across to, to France and to Toulouse in the south of France, and we kept building the platform there. Part of it was adventure. You know, we we were uh, we were a bit open eyed. You know, saying is is this the best decision to make for the company? Well, probably not. But do we also think it's going to be a fun adventure to go and live in the south of France for a year? Probably yes. And and uh, you know, it was uh, my co-founder and I, and you know, to to build on a pun, uh, we had nothing to lose. <laughs>
0: so. This is a, a, like I said earlier, it's a very interesting founding story, but I believe if you really want to build something of significance, right, you kind of have to be all in. I always say, like, no one succeeds, like, on a side hustle. It doesn't mean anything, Mm -hmm. right? Do you remember the time where you and your buddy were sitting around and just going, I think we're onto something here. We really have to do this now. Because you're not a logistics guy. He was an actuarial math guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't know anything about this. And I want to get back to that in a second, too. But do you remember that feeling of, like, dude, we got to be all in on this thing because this could be big?
1: Yeah, it was leading into when we incorporated the company. So obviously, prior to that, we'd had the demonstration, like, I guess, the demo that we set up for the fire extinguishers and and doing the servicing, but we just kept noticing, you know, the growth in e-commerce at the time and, you know, Amazon was really, you know, starting to become a thing in Australia and people were, you know, buying their parcels and and we were just seeing again and again in the news and when we were looking at what was in the market, there was probably only, you know, three or four sort of platforms that were targeting the space that we were targeting. Right. You know, not the massive transport management enterprise solutions, but then not just a scanning, scan in and out platform. So that was, I guess, you know, leading into this, we could see that this was happening and that e-commerce was growing and that if we weren't in the right space, we weren't far off it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and for us as, as the founders, and as you say, no one succeeds on their side hustle, getting the French tech ticket money and being forced to move halfway, I mean, not forced to move, but moving halfway across the world. Well, that was really the, the opportunity to be, right, this is the, the clean break. Yep. You know, we're definitely quitting our jobs. We're moving over to France and we're, we're giving this a go, for better or for worse.
0: Oh, so you guys had a full-time job that was separate from this, I'll call it a project now, I guess. And that's when you decided, okay, we're not doing these full-time jobs anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, more or less. Once once we got accepted and we, and we said, well we'll, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we'll go and do this. And so, know, yeah, for better or for worse, it's led us to where we've led us.
0: Yeah, and you said before that there were things that you knew, but things you definitely did not know about the logistics space, right? And particularly about optimization. Can you talk about some of the things that maybe surprised you? Because it is really complex, yeah? Which means for an engineer, it should be exciting, no? Because you get to solve these oh, complex problems, right?
1: It's it's definitely what keeps me interested in seeing how the different areas of the businesses run, uh, seeing how, you know, the, the challenges, and then also seeing the inefficiencies. Yeah. And as an engineer being like, ah, oh, you know, what can I do to solve that? But then understanding that, ah, oh, you know, that inefficiency is there for a reason. And I guess, you know, one of, I mean, it's there for a reason, but you know, we're we're maybe not quite there and, and maybe we don't quite have the technology to solve it, or you know, there's another step that another piece of the puzzle that needs to go in place before we can eliminate that inefficiency. And I guess you know, one of the things that you know we always looked at and we thought, well, why don't companies have this optimization? You know, if we can build it, yeah. why don't why don't the companies already have it? Yeah, that was always the question. And that's where you know, we've sat down and we've been across the table from investors and they've just said, companies have this. And we said, well, no, they don't. <laughs> right. yeah, and if they do, uh, and this was, you know, and, and more and more companies are adopting it. And, and uh, as I understand, you know, companies like Amazon are really, um, you know, with their logistics, they're really you know, pushing yeah. uh, this to the next level, the next level uh, with their technology. And, um, you know, they're doing some really impressive things. But one of the things that, you know, we didn't really understand was territories and, your know, driver territories. And we always said, you know, it's a really inefficient thing. So I guess, you know, traditionally how logistics worked was, well, this is your three suburbs and off you go to your three suburbs and you do all the deliveries in these three suburbs. But the problem is, is you might have 80 deliveries to make in those three suburbs. And then the three suburbs next to you has 20 deliveries to make. But because you're constrained by your territory, well, What would make sense is that the driver next to you gets 20 or 30 of your deliveries and you do load balancing so that everyone gets delivered efficiently and so we always built our algorithm around that and our platform around that saying that well this is the most
0: efficient way to do it
1: efficient way of doing it and then we've gone out to our customers and they said well yeah but we need our territories but why do you want your territories and then yeah and they say well because the person who's picking the part out of the warehouse Needs somewhere to put the part on the dock. If the driver pulls up to dock number one, we don't want him having to walk all the way to dock number 15 to pick up a part to go on his vehicle. And you say, ah, well...
0: We can fix that too, though, right? Oh, we can fix that
1: too. But then it's, it's a, a matter of at what stage in the process do you do your optimization? And then you know, can you blend that? Because, you know, really, if this territory is here and the territory next to you, you know, if you're on dock one, well, the guy driving the territory next to you is probably on dock two. And so, you know, can you share your parcels in and around that? But then also, you know, what still surprised us was, your know, driver preferences um, and, your know, drivers, when we gave it across to our algorithm to do the optimization and it was sending them to places that they hadn't been before, right. they were pushing back against it, being like, well, I don't normally go there. Why? Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, one of our early customers was doing um, hot water system installation and maintenance. And so previously they had three people that were sitting in and it was their job from, you know, 3.30 to 5.00pm every day to allocate the jobs for the next day. Right. And so we came in and we said, well, you get all the orders that have come in, you put them into Tarot and you click a button, (laughs) <laughs> and it's calculated it there and there. And yeah, it was great, but then they would keep coming in and keep making, you know, if they gave it straight to the drivers, the drivers would, or the technicians in this case, and you know, our algorithm was you know, quite intelligent and we'd put a lot of thought in behind it to map the technicians and the skills that the technicians had because there was electric systems, gas systems, solar systems, they all needed to have different skills to work on different systems. And when the drivers were getting routed to areas that they were unfamiliar with, it was a change in their day. And the change in their day and the change in their processes and the change in the way they worked, all of a sudden became, well, what's this tool? Why is it making these changes or or forcing these changes upon me?
0: That's so interesting. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I guess that surprised us when we we were first interacting with our customers. They were the things that we didn't expect. I guess, I know, hadn't, this pushback.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about logistics for the longest time, and I'll tell you why. As an investor in e-commerce, right, back in 2012 and 2013, you know, they looked around at the market in Thailand and said, and frankly, in the rest of Southeast Asia, and said, no one's optimizing deliveries. And as e-commerce begins to pick up, just like you said, particularly in a city that's so densely populated, but also the traffic is terrible, right? So if you're not optimizing your deliveries, you're just wasting a ton of time right, a ton of time, and also including traffic information. But it amazed me back then as well that the logistics companies themselves hadn't built that. And I was actually told before I moved to Thailand by somebody who had lived here and then came back to Japan where I was living at the time, only plan on doing two things in one day because the roads are so crowded that you'll never be able to get to more than two places at once. And I thought about that in the context of logistics, but the one thing I never thought of was that the drivers or the technicians or the people would push back on the optimization. That's really interesting.
1: It's, yeah, it was interesting to us and and managing that is, I mean, we having done it and having seen it the first couple of times, it very quickly became, oh, actually, well, this is, you know, we need to produce some, some stuff or some content that we can provide to the managers and that we can preempt right. these issues so that when they happen, well, it's not a surprise. Um, right, right, but, right. But I guess that was a... Things that we didn't expect.
0: I want to go back to this thing you said earlier about your, but what's his name? You said his name. I forgot. Jesse. Jesse. Yeah. So Jesse was contacting the, the flower shop or whatever it was, the delivery shop. And they said, can you just jump back in your car and bring the signed documents and delivery documents out to us? So I'm thinking car. There's no way in Bangkok you could deliver by car. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Because again, the traffic I was riding a Vespa for years here, and I just thought, to me, there is no traffic, right? Because I can just go around everything. How do you look at, at least from your perspective, different types of vehicle delivery and the impact that that has on the efficiency, right? Because size matters at some level, even if the roads aren't crowded. Do you know what I mean? You don't always want like a gigantic truck kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and right sizing for logistics companies, there's a lot of money to be saved in making sure that you have the right size of vehicle doing your deliveries. Yeah. Because, you know, if you get a, you know, a small semi-rigid truck, it's a lot more expensive to to hire, to run, to operate and to buy than, a, you know, nine meters cubed, which is more expensive than a six meters cube, which is more expensive than a three meters cube, which is more expensive than a little cargo bike. And, and obviously, you know, when you think about a sustainability aspect as well, you know the right-sized vehicle to do the delivery uh, helps you be you know, more efficient, more sustainable, uh, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, when we're thinking about it, all of our customers are using vehicles today. We don't have any customers that are doing bike delivery or, or walking delivery. Okay, but it is something that you know we see into the future as e-commerce grows and logistics. You know, logistics is going to be forced to become more and more efficient because uh, and more people are buying online. Right. The delivery expectations that people have around receiving their packages and same day or next day delivery. And then, you know, the frustration people have around, you know, hey, sorry, we missed you. Come down to the post office and, and yeah. pick up your parcel. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's all driving uh, logistics to become more efficient. Now, I think there was a, a Century report a couple of months ago on sustainability and the final kilometer. And it was saying that We're on track in Sydney, at least. It was projecting that commutes on average would become 11 minutes longer because of the increase in the number of delivery vehicles, if nothing changes. Right. So what I think needs to happen and and what our platform, what we're building our platform towards is to be able to work more with local fulfillment or micro fulfillment. So these are your centers that are, you know, they're not your large warehouse. They're your small delivery centers that can manage, you know, orders in a, a much smaller area that gives you then the benefit of, okay, you can have your large stock at a warehouse somewhere, and then you, your orders get placed, they get picked at the large warehouse, and then they get put on a small number of larger vehicles, which then go and make a limited number of stops into your local fulfillment centers. And then your local fulfillment centers can then cross-stock you know, take it out of the big truck, put it into a smaller van or onto a, a cargo vehicle, and then they can do the delivery, you know, the 20, 30 stops. So the big truck is doing maybe 10 stops around the suburbs, you know, to key points where your local fulfillment centers are, and then your little vans or your cargo bikes or whatever are doing the, the actual delivery to the apartments or to the people. And so then take that a step further and... Maybe it's not so much an application in, in the Australian market, but in, in Europe, in Asia, in cities like Paris, where you've got really small streets, but then you've also got lots of small towns in the countryside. Yep. Having a concept of you know, a mobile local fulfillment center. So this is where you know, you've got your packages on a truck and then it comes into the outskirts of the small town where it's met by or the, or the edge of the suburb where it's met by some cargo bikes or a little van. And then they quickly you know sort the parcels and so then the bikes or the little van do the delivery around there so that's what we're looking to build our platform towards we already work really well with you know local delivery centers local micro fulfillment i think it's where the industry is moving towards we will see more and more like shopping centers and malls uh, moving to become like this Uh, i'm not sure if you saw uh, in Australia, Westfield launched Westfield Direct. I think two weeks ago. So Westfield is a big supermarket, a uh, big shopping mall here in Australia, and they've offered a platform where you can buy from any of the retailers that are in the stores online, and then they will fulfil the order outside of their from from their Westfield centre. Right. And the Westfield centres are already positioned so that most of Australia, 70% of Australia, lives within 30 minutes driving time of a Westfield uh, shopping center?
0: Right. This is what I was going to ask you next, right? I think I heard a statistic a couple of days ago. I don't know if it's 50, 60, or 70, but a similar number lives within an hour of warehouse of, of an Amazon warehouse. This whole idea of almost like instantaneous delivery. And we see companies like Low Ship trying to build this into their platform in, in Vietnam as well. They're literally promising, no matter where you are, one hour delivery. And, you know, one of my buddies and I who talk about e-commerce all the time are always having this question of, what if I get somewhere and I don't have a cable, right? I need to do a recording and I've just left my XLR cable back at my studio. I should just be able to dial one up and have it in 30 minutes, because it's there, right? We think about this a lot.
1: It's, it's there. I guess the, the question is, how much, how much are you prepared to pay for it? Because that's the other, how much extra are you prepared to pay for that 30 minute?
0: It's a really good point. And and I used to talk about this when people talked about surge pricing for Uber. And I think this is a really unpopular opinion, but I used to think, okay, it's three times the price, but have you ever been standing in the rain on the corner in New York City and taxis just keep going by you? You wouldn't have paid 30 bucks instead of 10? Really? Right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: If I need that cable and I've got a guest coming on, I'll pay 15, 20 bucks for delivery. I don't care. I need it kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. As you talk about these, your local fulfillments, uh, that sort of stuff, and, and I'm sure you've seen all the 15 minute grocery startups appearing. They're everywhere now. It wasn't a thing 18 months ago, and, and now they're everywhere. So I'm really interested to see how they're gonna make their business models work because 15 minutes means you've gotta, you can only really do one delivery at a time. So the driver's gotta go out and back.
0: Here's the question, you said this earlier, right? Where do you do your optimization? So when you were talking about Doc 1 and Doc 5, but they're in the same, they're in, what do you say, like a budding, not neighborhoods, What would you call them districts?
1: It's, it's a, a warehouse.
0: No, no, the warehouse, no, that, that part I understand, but you had a term for the places where they're going to deliver, not a neighborhood. It's a, uh, no, they're territory. I come into Doc 1 because Doc 1 goes to territory A. I come into Doc 4 because Doc 4 goes to territory B. And then you said, so where do you do your optimization? And I was thinking, well, just do it inside the warehouse. The warehouse knows how many packages are coming in for that day at least, or at least for the next four hours. So have them optimize. And no matter which dock you're in, if your territory is but each other, just give more so the guy doesn't have to go to dock four, he just goes to dock one. And then I thought, wait a second. If you're doing micro-fulfillment, right? And at the mall, they're using the stores kind of as a warehouse. Then you can actually optimize at the store level, but then you can back up even further and say, we can write the optimization tools for your sales so we know what you're selling, so then you can keep in stock yep. the right thing. So for you, this is like a never-ending trail back to like direct-to-consumer factories, in a way, which means that your work never runs out. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> but the, I mean, within our platform today, there's only so much that we can address and that we... As you just alluded to, you can always optimize back another level and yeah. another level and another level, but building a business and building a product, well, is there somebody else, a level up that can do that better than me? I understand. And should I, I understand. focus my platform on... <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not suggesting on, you go uh, do that, but I'm just thinking like, it's a really interesting question. Where do, you, where do you start your optimization? It's just really interesting because the data goes all the way back literally to the factory that's producing that thing. Yeah. Because logistics and because... Look, we saw this in the Suez Canal last year, or maybe it was this year, I can't remember anymore. That boat got stuck for a few days and the entire world broke down from a logistics standpoint. right? That's how sophisticated and how interconnected everything is. And I think a lot of those middle points are going to be disintermediated at some level where if I want to order something, I don't order it from Elgato, I order it from the factory where Elgato's producing it. And they're just a brand that I like and they just send it to me directly from the factory. Because you make it so efficient that at scale there's so much stuff coming in and out of that factory that why would they send it to a distribution center and then to a retailer and then to an online marketplace when they could just do
1: it themselves. Yeah. And and obviously yeah, everyone's taking their cut the way through.
0: Yeah. So it should make it cheaper as well for consumers and maybe even more profitable for the factories. I have another question though. You said something really interesting that if everything remains the same, right. Mm -hmm. And because e-commerce is expanding, that means that there are more delivery trucks or cars or bikes or whatever on the road. So everyone's commute is going to get longer. Pick a number. You said 11 minutes, but it could be any number, right? Yeah. If there are more vehicles on the road, then it's more pollution. If nothing changes as well.
1: Is is there a yeah.
0: sustainability angle to this? And what does that look like to you?
1: Yeah. So it's one of the it's one of the aspects that we've always well liked about our product is that You know, we're driving efficiency, we're helping companies save money, but we're also reducing kilometers driven. Yeah. And for us in building a tool, we thought, you know, this is doing something that, you know, driving this efficiency, reduce the number of kilometers driven per package delivered. You know, it's it's a sustainability thing that has an immediate effect.
0: It feels like it.
1: But obviously as it grows, you know, most delivery vehicles today are internal combustion powered delivery vehicles. And so, yeah, there's in the same way that I think it was 11 minutes commute time increasing. I think it was 20% increase in uh, CO2 emissions from delivery vehicles. Now, I might have the number wrong. Um, there was but, it, but it's
0: more than stats. zero. So, it's more than zero.
1: It's more. It's absolutely more than zero. And and there's a big challenge of you know how do we get to sustainability with our your distribution and our home delivery? And you know, the electrification of these uh, vehicle fleets as well is also a challenge. From one aspect, you know, the consumer is demanding faster and faster delivery and cheaper and cheaper delivery. There's also some really good statistics and and studies that have been done into, you know, the cart abandonment from online marketplaces because uh, of shipping costs. Yep.
0: And delivery times.
1: Yeah. Shipping costs and delivery times. And the amount of carts that or, or preferences that people will have because of that. And, but then equally, and I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's a slightly separate topic, but you know, final delivery experience yeah, is, and we might have to come back to, to the actual experience of the delivery, because I think that's really important for a lot of these brands that are online only, the delivery is the only physical interaction. And yeah. if that doesn't go well, well, is the customer going to come back? You've, you've spent all this money advertising to them bringing them to your platform making the sale yeah. but then because you've chosen the cheapest courier to deliver and he's thrown the package you know damaged the package on arrival well your customer is going to blame you yeah. rather than yeah. blaming the the courier yeah but I digress but with these your know, lower and lower shipping costs well how electric vehicles are more expensive yeah you know, we, we, we know compared to a uh, at the moment with the technology we have today delivery vehicles, electric vehicles are more expensive than internal combustion vehicles. And the way that the industry is structured with a lot of the subcontracted delivery drivers and uh, delivery vehicles doesn't really make it doesn't make the case to invest in an electric vehicle, because the upfront cost of an electric vehicle is more than the upfront cost of an internal combustion vehicle. But the operating costs of an electric vehicle are lower. But Often the contracts that are given to the drivers who are running, you know, their franchise, the delivery company they're working for, you know, it's a one year, two year contract. It doesn't have the length of time that, you know, justifies investing in an electric vehicle. So can we get consumers to pay more for a sustainable, you know, electric delivery is, is one aspect of it. But then there's another aspect on the distribution side of things is how do we how do we keep these electric vehicles running and keep these electric vehicles charged? Because if you have a delivery vehicle, you want that delivery vehicle running for as many hours of the day as possible. Yeah, nonstop. Uh, and having downtime to to charge it is is not what you want. And one of the practical issues is that you know, when we have our customers in their warehouses, they will be dispatching in delivery waves. Uh, one of our customers does automotive spare parts. Actually have quite a few customers doing of those parts. But the order cutoff for one in particular is ten AM. So the last order that the customer can place to get a new part delivered to their dealership or mechanic uh, is ten AM. So by the time all that flows through, ten fifteen, the last parts are being picked out of out of the warehouse and placed on the dock, and then the optimization, and then the, the goal is to have every vehicle departed from the warehouse at ten forty five. Right. So you've got 30 vehicles sitting there at the warehouse, departing at 1045. If all of those 30 vehicles, you know, they're arriving and you, know, as a logistics you know, provider, I want those vehicles to arrive at 1015, pack everything that's in there and depart at 1045 because I want to start paying them at 1015 when they arrive. Right. But if I've got 30 vehicles that are all of a sudden electric, that all of a sudden want to plug in and recharge for 15 minutes or 20 minutes whilst they're loading well that's it you know as a warehouse i've now got to invest in the connection to be able to supercharge 30 vehicles for 15 minutes while they're all plugged in and the fact that all these vehicles are you know these delivery waves are coming at the same time means that those vehicles go out at 10.45 and they come back at one and they're all back at one repacking you know changing things over signing in returns whatever but plugging in, if they're electric, plugging in, ready to charge again. And so, you know, it's a warehouse. How do you manage, you know, if you need to charge 30 vehicles for two hours of the 24 hours of the day, you still need to have that really large connection to the grid and, and is that possible? So there's quite a few challenges you know, in, in this space and the electrification of delivery vehicles. So, you know, obviously there's people that are far smarter than me that are addressing it. And, and looking into it, but you know, when we're talking about optimization, sustainability, and the final kilometer, I think you know, these are, are really interesting things that are going on and... Uh,
0: yeah, you can't ignore them, right? I mean, th- that's a real yeah. thing. But also, if you want to start paying the driver at 10.15, but the car has to charge for 15 more minutes, maybe you have to pay the driver a little bit more, right, to sit and wait while the while the thing's uh, charging.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's potentially where the opportunity is, is, well, okay, well, how do you optimize that? Yeah. Yeah. So you tell you do do you tell your drivers that well you know come here at 10 and therefore we've got an extra 15 minutes and then you know we have some intelligent software that will throttle the charge you know it will it will charge the vehicles with the lower battery state faster and it will charge the vehicles with a higher battery state lower you know or you know it feeds that battery state back into your root optimization algorithm so that when i'm when when our software is running the optimization algorithm right you know it knows that well this vehicle's got a charge state of 200 kilometers right. so
0: yeah don't send them 250. yeah
1: yeah, yeah. or you need to send them 250. can you plan for them to stop somewhere on yeah. the way and and charge. where is the most optimal place on right. the way Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is An interesting concept around what we're looking for and what we look to build in our platform, or I guess anyone looks to build into a startup or a SaaS platform is network effects. And how do you build network effects into a root optimization platform? Well, one way into the future is charging station.
0: Yeah. And and telling people where to build them for optimization. Yeah. Or building them yourself.
1: Building them yourself or telling people where to build them or having them available. One thing that, you know, our platform and our customers are obviously very sensitive about is that their deliveries and how they plan right, you know, is is their intellectual property. So they don't want that necessarily shared. But, you know, charging stations, parking locations, that sort of thing. You know, if I'm doing a delivery to, you know, an apartment block and that apartment block has a charging station, well, as a courier driver, can I pull up into that park, can I plug my vehicle in? And can I um, charge the vehicle for five minutes while I go in and knock on the person's door and, and right. make the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think these are things that, you know, if we're serious about sustainability in the in the final kilometer and electrifying delivery right. fleets, yep. we need to consider how we how we do this. And parking is is a probably a a more immediate problem of well when I'm doing my delivery, where is you know, the loading zone. And if right. I, you know, rather than going to this street, am I better off parking in the loading zone around the corner and walking for two minutes to, to make the delivery?
0: Lots to do.
1: Yeah, lots to do, lots to do. And, you know, it's, it's all a matter of meeting the consumer's demand for ever faster deliveries at an ever lower cost.
0: One more thing, and then I'll let you go. I'm curious when you're driving around just trying to live your regular life when you have time for it, if you're just looking around going, huh, I forgot this was here kind of thing, and just trying to optimize as you're living, does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Can you get this out of your head or not really? Are you too deep in the morass on this one?
1: Yeah, you definitely <laughs> get get a bit, yeah, a bit too deep. My thing when I'm driving around or I'm going for a run or, or cycling and I see delivery vehicles from, right. from brands that I didn't know. Right. Oh, right. that's a... That's a potential a I haven't seen. Yeah,
0: yeah. I what bet I they're not kind of. They're
1: using, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely what I do uh, when I'm out running, and and I notice the different brands or, or the, and not so much the logistics companies, but more the um, that are doing delivery and distribution. Yeah. But you don't picture them as logistics companies, and then often they don't picture themselves as logistics companies, but they, they make are. up a very significant portion. Of, you know, delivery fleets and your know, automotive parts or construction material delivery or, right. um, your distribution to, to shops or your know, flower delivery, that sort of stuff. You know, you don't traditionally think of this stuff as, as, uh, logistics because it's not parcels you bought from, from Amazon, but it is still delivery vehicles driving around and, uh, it is, you know, they're, they're, they're everywhere. And, and I think it's, you know, if you, sit on the road on the side of a busy street for five minutes and you count the number of you know vans that go past and count the ones that you know, aren't from large logistics companies be very very surprised yeah so for sure. uh, that's that's definitely what i do when i'm riding around and, <laughs> or running around and noticing all these vehicles going past
0: before i let you go simon how can people get in touch with you if they want to
1: yeah uh the best way is via our website so taroanalytics.com or directly to me, simon at tarotanalytics.com. So T-A-R-O-T-A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-T-S. Perfect.
0: Thank you so much for doing this. Simon Webb, a co-founder of Tarot Analytics.
1: Thanks, man. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.